through this series has been something that has been churning in my heart for about nine months. I, I've been struggling to find words in order uh, to kind of describe what I've been feeling about this. And uh, as I've been studying, one of my mentors has taught me, and I want to do my best to share with you how I finally have kind of some words to put behind this series. You know, when you ask people who do not go to church to give, give you one word to describe a Christian, they will give you some words. You'll hear judgmental, rude, self-righteous, arrogant, hateful, just to name a few. And wow, th these are your coworkers, your, your family members, neighbors, people you know that don't go to church that are looking at Christians. But if you would ask those same people to describe Jesus, you're going to get a whole new, completely different list of answers. You'll get words like loving, kind, grace. You'll hear words like peace and mercy. Now, that's a big difference. And that is a huge gap. In fact, it's completely an opposite response. Now, we have to ask, why the difference? What went wrong? What happened for people to view Jesus one way in a mostly positive way and then to see people who say that they're Christians to see them as nothing, I mean nothing like Jesus at all? Now, when you look at the New Testament and the words of Jesus as he is describing the Pharisees, you find that those words that he uses to describe the Pharisees are very much like the words that people use today to describe Christians. And to tell you the truth, the way Pharisees treated people in the New Testament is very close to the way that many Christians treat people today. And now this happens slowly. It, I think you could call it the Pharisee creep. It kind of creeps slowly into our lives. It slips into our thinking. It sneaks into our behavior very, very slowly. But if we're going to become more and more like Jesus, then we're going to have to fight this. Change perspectives with me. Hit pause on that. Let's change perspectives for a moment. I love art. I'm kind of artsy-fartsy, especially for me, the art of the masters. Um, Renoir, he's a master impressionist, and one of his paintings sold over $78 million. Now, for some reason, I don't know why, I've just been kind of drawn to the work of the impressionist, and their paintings, many of them, not all, but many of them, they, they move me deeply. Now, to give you a time frame here, about the same time that Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday were having a shootout at the OK Corral, Renoir, at the, about the very same time, was painting a masterpiece on the other side of the world in Paris. And the name of this piece that he was painting is, it was called Dance at the Bougie Valet. Now, may not mean much, but that's the painting. I love that painting. I saw this painting in Boston, and to see it up close, uh, to see the very ridges of each of Renoir's paintbrush strokes that are left behind on that painting. There was nothing between me and the canvas, no glass, 
nothing. It, I was just there up close with that oil paint that had been dried and it was just glistening. It was astounding. And in that moment, I was face to face with millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of art in that one painting. But yet, it, for me, it was not the monetary value of that that had me in awe. It was simply that it was a masterpiece. And each stroke of paint in that painting was from the master impressionist Renoir. And that was about 10 years ago when I saw that. Now, suppose, suppose that I was at a yard sale and I was shopping, I ran across an old beat-up canvas that was muddy and dirty and, you know, frankly, it kind of stunk. And I'm looking at it and the guy tells me, yeah, that was headed for the dumpster and I bought it for $3. And I'm looking at it and I begin to see some things that look familiar, like I begin to see this face and I see a hint of this hat, you know, I... I see something that's familiar. Go ahead and put that back up on the screen for me. I see some things that are familiar. And so I offer to buy the painting for $5 because I kind of think this may be something pretty important. I recognize something about this. I knew that there's something underneath this nastiness here that's of value. I knew this was a mess, but underneath it was maybe a Renoir. And not just any Renoir, but it was this one, the, the dance at the Bougie Valet. And knowing the value, I, I, I wouldn't look around and, and take some kind of harsh chemical. I wouldn't take a bottle of bleach and, and an old rag and, and start to just clean it up. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. That really wouldn't be the wise thing to do. So what I would probably do, I would take this to a master, a master painter who, who would know what he or she was doing and they would take time to really clean up the painting the way it needs to be cleaned up because I, no way, I know how to do it. I, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to take care of it. I wouldn't know what to do, but they would take months and months, maybe even, even years perhaps but they would clean it up as a master painter to its original condition. They would make it what it was supposed to be. They, they would know how to do it, and they would understand how. I mean, I might see the value, but I would need to take it to someone who could really treat it the way it needed to be treated, to restore it the way it needed to be restored. Now shift gears with me again. When we begin to see God's creation, other people around us, when we begin to see them correctly, when we begin to see them the way Jesus sees them, we will get the honor, the privilege to participate in the most amazing restoration process ever. We will have the divine honor of participating in God's merciful, God's masterful restoration of the most sin-stained works of art, including our very own lives. 
Now, I'm going to read to you a passage of Scripture. I wish I could break it down and talk about each section. I don't have time. I had that all written into my notes, but I had to cut it all out because we don't have time. So let me just paraphrase to you what you're getting ready to hear me read. You're going to hear how God describes that our lives had become very, very muddy and very messed up. But God didn't run from us. God actually ran to us, and he offered to clean us up. Because he knew we couldn't do it ourselves. And now we have become God's treasured masterpiece. And he shows us off to the world. Now listen how this is described by Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 starting with verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead... Because of our sins, we were muddy, nasty, disgusting because of our sins. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Verse 6, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. Verse 7, so... God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so no one can boast about it. And listen to this, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. You see, the master artist has to restore the masterpiece. And he doesn't restore the masterpiece so he can hang it on the wall or put you in a museum. No, 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 no. He has a job for you, a task, a goal, a mission for you. Now listen to this. This is how he ends it. Wow. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do all the good things he planned for us long ago. In other words, for those of you who have already submitted your lives to Jesus, your life which is being restored, is meant to be a tool of restoration. It's a tool in the hands of the master. But in order for this tool to be used by the master, we have to become more and more like Jesus and less like the Pharisees. So when we look at the lives around us, the broken, hurting lives, do we see them with love and grace and mercy like Jesus does? Actually, like Jesus even sees our very own lives, is that how we see the lives around us? Or inside our minds, secretly, do we have something against them because they're bad? In our thoughts, 
As we think about the broken, hurting people around us, are we disgusted and judgmental and harsh and wanting to fix them really fast? When we are more like the Pharisees than like Jesus, we actually repel people. We send them running away from God. That's the reality. Why, why are we like that? Why, why is that a part of who we are? Why are we more often like the Pharisees than we are like Jesus? Maybe part of the answer to that is that some of us have come to Jesus under the mud management agreement instead of the gospel of grace, restoration. You see, the mud management agreement, maybe we're thinking, yes, God saves us, but then we have to work really hard to manage all this mud, to get it cleaned up, and, and we clean it up because we're thankful, but we have to work hard to clean up all of this mud. We have to then, once we get it clean, we have to work like crazy to stay away from all the mud that's around us so that we don't get dirty again. But it doesn't work like that. We, we can't clean ourselves up no matter how hard we work, no matter how hard we try, because only the master artist can restore the work. If we think that we are doing the cleaning, then that leads us to look around us at the people around us, and we get mad at the other people around us. Because they have not worked as hard as we have worked to clean ourselves up. Because they have not worked hard to stay clean. If that's how we see the people around us, then we have missed the point. And in doing so, we have sent people running away from Jesus, the master artist. Here's the truth. I believe it does more damage than good to call ourselves followers of Jesus if our lives and our attitudes are not growing, beginning to change and reflect those of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said about this in John chapter 14, verse 12. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. And even greater works, Jesus says, because I'm going to be with the Father. Now listen, this verse tells us that clearly God intends for his followers that they will be living moment by moment under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, they will have the same influence on the lives around them that Jesus had on the lives around him. This is huge. You, as a Christ follower, are to have an influence on people like Jesus did. But so many actually have the opposite influence. Instead of attracting people to Jesus like Jesus did, they actually send people running away from Jesus like the Pharisees did. 
And as they run away from Jesus, if you listen, you can hear your friends saying, all you Christians are the same, judgmental, hateful, mean people. You know, the Pharisees weren't all bad. They came from a good place, and they were actually, in their time, they were reformers. They looked around them, they saw the Roman law, this Roman culture, it was godless, and, and the influence of the Roman culture was impacting the Jewish faith, the Jewish life in following God. And they were afraid that God's laws were being corrupted and forgotten by this culture that was influencing them. And listen, that sounds very much like today. Many Christians have that same concern today. You know, the Pharisees loved the Scripture. They studied them hours and hours every day, memorized most of them, which tells me this. It is possible to love and study Scripture a lot and still miss the heart of what God is wanting to do in this world. Do you know what? It is possible for us to love Jesus and still completely miss the mission of Jesus. You know, the Pharisees were on a mission. Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? He says, hypocrites. For you cross the land, this is their mission, you cross the land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell that you are yourselves. Wow. Jesus said, you're on a mission, you Pharisees, but you're on your own mission. You're on the wrong missions. And just like many Christians today, we can be on the wrong mission mission. You look around, many Christians are on a, a moral mission to see the world change, maybe even more specifically to see the United States, our country, changed and hearts turned back toward God and lives changed, but they are, the pharisaical Christians are failing to demonstrate the heart of God to a broken world. They're missing something. So what got the Pharisees on their wrong mission? I believe if you look, you see they had no mercy. They had no compassion for the broken, muddy, hurting people around them. The Pharisees did many, many things right. But they did not see themselves accurately. And they didn't see the other people around them accurately. You know, they actually thought that God was for the good people and that God didn't want anything to do with the bad people. So you know what they did? They separated themselves from all the hurting, muddy people. And that is the point where Jesus and the Pharisees collided. And that is where Jesus will collide with us too. Let's look at this story of where one of these moments where this happened. Matthew chapter 9, starting with verse 9. 
as Jesus was walking along, now Jesus had spent some time in this area where he was. He had been there for about a, a year ministering, and there's no doubt that everyone in this area had heard about Jesus. They knew about him. So it goes on. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Now, tax collectors were crooked. They were dirty money scumbags. That's who they were. And Jesus addresses this dirty money scumbag. He says, follow me and be my disciple. Goes on to say, so Matthew got up and followed him. And starting in verse 10, the very first word there is later. So later, which means this, Matthew, the tax collector who was a dirty money scumbag, Matthew followed Jesus. And some point later, we don't know how long, sometime later, could have been days, could have been weeks, could have been months, but later. So it means this, Matthew is following Jesus. It says this, Matthew invited Jesus, this is later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples and his, to his home as dinner guests. Matthew invites them to his extra, extravagant dirty money, tax-collecting home. And it says, along with many tax collectors, so that means more people who were thought of as scumbags, he invited them in. And then it says, and other disreputable sinners. Now, this could have been many different kinds of people, any number of people. Could have been liars and gossipers. Could have been some alcoholics, dirty businessmen, drug addicts. Could have been adulterers. Even some prostitutes could have been there. Any number of types of sinners could have been there. And here's the one thing they all had in common, though. They were all there as guests which means somebody who invited them knew them all. And that was Matthew who was following Jesus and yet knew all of these people well enough to invite them into his home. A Jesus follower knew all of these folks and he invited them and he knew them well. Verse 11 but when the Pharisees saw this, dun, 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 what did they see? What did the Pharisees see? When the Pharisees looked at all of these people, what did they see? What kind of filter were they using as they were looking at these people? Well, it says, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? That's what they saw. They saw scum. They saw the muddy, muddy, muddy people. Their eyes and their hearts had no compassion, no mercy. They had no love. They were probably thinking this. Why aren't those people good like I'm good? I mean, they could be, but they're not. Why aren't they? They're not trying as hard as I'm trying. They are dirty and they're muddy. If I were Jesus, you wouldn't find me anywhere near people like that. And Jesus now being sarcastic, he says this in verse 12. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Don't need a doctor. Sick people do. You know, Jesus knew the Pharisees were only pretending to be healthy. 
He knew that deep inside, they knew that they were sick, that they just had themselves fooled into thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm clean, at least, well, at least cleaner than that person. Jesus knew that everyone, everyone was muddy, but only those who admitted it would come to the master artist for restoration. And now he's getting ready in this next moment to send the Pharisees away. But first, he puts them on blast. Listen to this, verse 13. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. He's getting ready to quote from the Old Testament. And he's, he's like saying, listen, God, you think that you already know all of this scripture and that you understand it all. You think you've got it down. I, though, want you to know this the way I know this. So you go home and think about this scripture, and he quotes it to him. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. And now, in the next moment, Jesus makes his mission, God's mission, crystal clear. He says, for I have come to call not those who think, they're righteous, but those who know that they're sinners. He's saying, I'm here for the people who know they can't get the mud off of their lives. I'm here as the master artist to restore my masterpieces. I'm not going to really bother or pay much attention to the people who think they can do it on their own. No, 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 no. I'm here for the people who know they can't. Why? Why were people repelled by the Pharisees, but yet they were attracted to Jesus? And I think part of the reason is because Jesus was offering mercy and compassion to people who were broken, and they were attracted to that kind of love. They were attracted to Jesus. Luke chapter 15 verse 1 describes a moment. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often often, often came and, and they came to listen to Jesus teach. But do you know what? The people who thought that their behavior made them righteous, that their behavior would make them good, it would make them better, it, it, they didn't see the broken people around them. You know what they saw? They just saw mud. They didn't see the people. The Pharisees were nothing like Jesus. You know how we know this? Because the Bible tells us you know what is at the core of a person by watching them. You just simply have to watch them and you can know. Jesus said in Luke 6 verse 44, a tree is identified by its fruit. Figs never grow on thorn bushes. We can claim to be a Jesus follower, and you can say all you want, I'm a fig tree, I am a fig tree, but if your life only produces thorns, then something's not right. I mean, you can say you're following Jesus, but if you don't begin to have in your life developing the right attitudes, starting to come from your life, 
If you're not responding, beginning to respond with mercy and love and compassion and grace, then you need to check. You need to check and see what might be wrong. Because Jesus said, if you're following me, he said, I'm going to begin to rub off on you. Listen to how he words that in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. It, it, it goes on, it says, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. So a question. We have to ask, have I stopped short of following Jesus? Have I just taken his name as my own and said, hey, thanks, thanks, Jesus, I, I've, I've got it from here. I, now, I'm, I'm going to go to work and I'm going to clean my life up and in doing so, start looking at the broken lives around us as the enemy, the dirty, muddy enemy that we can't be around. But yet, Jesus wants us to be like him. He wants us to see the world around us like he sees them, not like the Pharisees see them. So here's the first big question that this series is going to ask. Am I more like Jesus? Or am I more like the Pharisees when I look at the world around me? Am I more like Jesus as I look at them? Or do I see them like the Pharisees see them? Jesus, he focused on the masterpiece. The Pharisees, they focused on the mud. This week, here's what we're asking you. Will you be willing to have the attitude that says this, Jesus, I'm your huckleberry. Jesus, I'm with you. I am all in with you. And will you be willing at your job, at your home, with your extended family, in your neighborhood, will you be willing to pray specifically by name, not in general, God help all the broken people. No, 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 no. Will you pray for the people around you by name? name, will you write their name down in your journal, on a piece of paper, on the back of the worship guide? Will you today, sometime, write down the names of the hurting people around you? And will you begin every day, whenever it comes to your mind, set that piece of paper where you will see it so you remember. And when it comes to your mind, will you pray for them by name, many times a day? And will you pray that God will let you see them with the same grace and mercy and compassion that Jesus sees them, the same mercy, grace, and compassion that Jesus sees you through? Write down their names and pray for them several times a day, every day this week. Now, let me share with you something that I think is true, a reality. I believe this. If 
in several years, if three, four years from today, if you don't see some, it won't be all, it'll never be all, but if you don't see some of your tax-collecting friends sitting beside you, three or four years from now, if you don't see some of them sitting beside you, then we need to question as a church if we are actually on the same mission that Jesus is on. I believe you can do this. I believe we can do this. We can be a part of this. As I have blown, as much as I have messed up and as much as I have blown it in my life, do you know what? The years that I have been following Jesus and the years I've been in ministry, youth ministry for 17 years and then another almost 15 years of church planting, 30 years of ministry, I've gotten to see broken like me, hurting like me, adults and teenagers restored to the master's beautiful design for their lives. And I have seen those broken people who are being restored. I have seen them go on to take that very same love and mercy that has been invested and lavished upon their lives. I have seen those broken people being restored and take that same love and mercy and lavish it upon the lives around them. And I have seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives over the past 33 years change. And you can be a part of what God is doing the very mission of Jesus. But first, we have to be more like Jesus and less like the Pharisees. Will you join me as we pray? Jesus, may we learn to love like you love. God, I do not want to live a self-righteous life only to discover that I have been on the wrong mission. God, may we realize that you are the master artist. May we not try to do masterpiece restoration ourselves, but may we escort our friends and family to you, the master artist who will restore their lives. May your grace and your mercy and your compassion overflow from our lives as we love the people around us. And may we be a tool in your hand, Jesus, our master artist who will restore muddy lives, our lives, and theirs. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.